This is Crossroads with Clayton King. Today, you're going to get to join me at Liberty University, where I served as campus pastor for many years. This is a message I preach during Global Focus Week, where I encourage college students, 10,000 college students, to put their life on the altar with their yes on the table as missionaries, whether missionaries in the marketplace, in the athletic world, in the medical field, or missionaries on the field. The reason why we believe that we are all missionaries as Christians is because our God is a missionary and his mission is to redeem us through the blood of Jesus. Enjoy this message called God is a Missionary. If you have a Bible, you can join me in Romans chapter 10. I learned this in seminary. One of my most respected professors said this to me. He said, if you don't understand anything else about God, understand these two things, that God is love and God is a missionary. From the very beginning of the creation of this world, when God put humanity on this planet and humanity rebelled and fell into sin, God has had a mission to redeem creation, primarily you and I through the blood of his son, Jesus. And in Romans chapter 10, I find for me, one of the most motivational and inspirational passages to help me maintain a global focus for my faith in Christ. That I'm not just an American Christian, that I'm a Christian for the sake of the world. And so really, here's how I want to frame this today as I read this passage of Scripture to us as a community, as a university. If you're a Christian, when it comes to missions, you either send or you go. You prepare and train and send people out, you make money, you create businesses, and you promote, you you build, you plant, or you're the girl or you're the guy that feels the Spirit of God tugging in your heart through Scripture and through the power of the Spirit that you're supposed to go, that you're supposed to go help Wycliffe translate the Bible into an unknown tongue, that you're supposed to go into an unreached people group, maybe behind the Iron Curtain of Communism or possibly even in the Muslim world where you could risk losing your life. If you're a Christian, when it comes to missions, we've got two options. We either send or we go. One of my most favorite authors, preachers, and influences in my faith was Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon from 1873, said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Let me read this to you as Paul writes to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 10. We'll start off in verse 9. For time's sake, I won't read all that I could read, but I would encourage you to follow along either up on the screens or in your copy of the scripture. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Paul, in this famous chapter, is talking about the nature of our salvation. That there are a couple of things required to be saved. Believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confessing out loud with your mouth. And this is what he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now pay close attention to verse 12. This is really important for our time together today. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. This is the mission of God right here, people. This is it. There is no difference between an American raised in a small Southern Baptist church in the hills of Virginia 
and an African mother of four in Uganda who has never had access to the gospel. There is no Jew or Gentile in the eyes of God. The gospel is for the world, it's for everybody. And it says in the latter part of verse 12, the same Lord is Lord of all, of all who, who call on him. And he richly blesses them for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's quoting Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is scandalous to a first century Jewish crowd. They thought they were God's special people. Though they were chosen for a particular purpose, their purpose was not that they got the gospel all to themselves and nobody else had access to it. The reason why God chose the Jews as a special people was so that they would be a light to the world, so that they would be a light to the Gentiles, so that the world would see a representation of a community that knew God, a God who was love and a God who was a missionary. It says in the next verse, verse 14, and, and this is where I want to spend the, the rest of the time. He, he asks a series of rhetorical questions. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And he's quoting again from the Old Testament. He's actually quoting from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 52 verse 7. So he asked a series of rhetorical questions. If the gospel is good news for the whole world, then what's keeping the whole world from believing the gospel? Well, here's what's keeping the whole world from believing the gospel. They haven't heard it. They don't have access to it yet. That's why we do Global Focus Week. That's why Liberty University exists. Training Champions for Christ is a mission statement. That means there's a mission for Liberty University. And this series of rhetorical questions, he wraps up with this quote from Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news, the gospel. This is kind of a special passage for me. I was 14 when I gave my life to the Lord. I was raised in church. I was raised Baptist, Presbyterian, and Pentecostal. You talk about having a crazy jacked up view of God and church. As a kid, Baptist church, uh, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Presbyterian Christian school five days a week, memorizing catechisms. And then my grandfather was Pentecostal, Pentecostal holiness, sometimes church of God, sometimes church of God of prophecy, always riled up for Jesus. And if you've never been to a Pentecostal church, you should go. So I was raised around church, and when I was seven, I made a profession of faith. Now, if you're from a Baptist background, you know what that means. When you, that's, that's a catchphrase. You hear the phrase profession of faith, and you know what that means. Preacher gives an invitation, you stand up, you walk forward, they sign a card, the church takes a vote on you. Then at age 14, something happened. I actually repented of my sin and trusted Christ. At age 14. Now, from seven to 14, I thought I was a Christian at age 14, I actually surrendered my life to the Lordship of Christ. Now here's, here's where that verse in Romans 10 really hits home for me and I hope that this will be an encouragement to you. So I give my life to Jesus, I go down, there was an altar at that little church and a bunch of students went forward that night to pray. Never in my life had I ever dreamed or ever desired to be a preacher or an evangelist 
The thought never crossed my mind that I would be a missionary, that one day I would start a, a nonprofit organization that would send hundreds of people around the world. Never did it cross my mind at age 14 as an eighth grader in 1987 that I would one day travel on my first mission trip to Jamaica where I would mix concrete every single day in the sun by hand with a shovel and then preach two or three hours every night right beside the church we were building. It never occurred to me at age 14, my, my goal in life was to play football and retire rich and marry a woman and have a big family. That was, my, that was my goal before I met Jesus. It never occurred to me that I would travel to 38 countries. It never occurred to me that I would catch malaria in Kenya on a mission trip and almost die. It never occurred to me that I would have a chance to share the gospel with a lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers on a train in India on a mission trip to share the gospel with Hindus. It never occurred to me that I would get chased by the Russian secret police, the KGB, in Moscow, Russia in 1992, just about a year after communism fell. It never occurred to me that I would be able to start an organization that sends people overseas to do medical clinics in the Himalayas. I never dreamed about any of that. I never dreamed about any of that. But here, here it is. I'm down. Just watch me. I'm down on my knees at the altar. And I'm, and I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm literally praying the sinner's prayer, though I don't remember how I prayed it, except Jesus, I'm a sinner. I don't want to die without you. I give you my life. And I'm praying and I'm giving my life to Jesus. And there are other students around me. And I look up and eye level with me was the preacher's feet the evangelist who was preaching that night. And I looked at his shoes and they were leather and they were wingtips and they were brown and white. They were actually sort of audacious and, and gaudy and, and they just, they just kind of screamed, look at me, I'm ugly. And I'm, I'm looking at his ugly shoes and this verse from Romans 10 that I had memorized before I was a Christian in the Presbyterian Christian school came back to my mind. The Spirit of God prompted that verse in my heart. And I'm looking at that preacher's shoes, and I remember this verse from Romans 10. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news. And I realized that man's feet brought the good news tonight that Jesus used to save me from my sin. And in that moment, I felt like the Lord was telling me to preach the gospel. And from that moment on, by God's grace, I've, fa I've failed, I have sinned, I've messed up, but I have tried by God's grace to keep my hands open to say, God, I'll go wherever you send me, I'll, I'll say whatever you tell me, I'll be whatever you want me to be. That's the heart of a missionary. That's the heart of somebody whose life has been transformed by the gospel. And the rhetorical question still stands, how can people believe in Jesus if they don't have access to Jesus? How can people who do not know, the Gentiles in other words, and there are Gentiles in Lynchburg, there are Gentiles on this campus. When I say Gentiles, I mean spiritually speaking. People who have been around the gospel but have never really truly believed the gospel. How can they believe in one they haven't heard? And how can they hear if nobody preaches to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And that's what I'm saying today. Every single Christian has two options. You either send or you go. You send people out on mission or you go out on mission. There are really only these two options. And then he continues. In the next verse it says... Verse 16, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. 
You know, it's amazing. It's amazing. David said it in his prayer. Anytime the Word of God is proclaimed, the Word becomes flesh and is made alive among us. Just in this room, in the 10 years I've been a part of the family here at Liberty, I have seen hundreds of people respond to the Word of God when it's proclaimed. It's not magic. It's not mystical. It's the power of God for salvation. When people have access to the Word of God, God does His work with the Word of God. And this is what Paul says. He goes on to say this. Verse 18, but I ask, did they not hear? Well, of course they did. And he quotes another Old Testament passage. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. And this is him reaching back into Isaiah, saying that God's heart for the world has always been his mission. That the world will respond, the world will believe when they do hear the word of God. Verse 19, again I ask, did not Israel understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. This is the scandalous nature of what we believe as Christians. That our God is a missionary God who does not discriminate who offers his grace to everyone out of love and mercy. We'll be back in just a minute to finish this message. But before we do, I wanted to invite you to pray for us and even attend our 26th annual Crossroads Winter Conference. It's in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. This is a student event for middle school and high school students. And it's gonna be Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. It's gonna be Friday, January the 12th through Sunday, January the 14th. This is an amazing student weekend, a big conference with thousands of kids from all over the Southeast. And we'd love for you to come. I'll be preaching there. My wife, Shari, will be there. Our son, Jacob, will be there. Great worship from folks like Charlie Butrago. Great speakers, amazing fellowship. It's gonna be awesome. Go to crossroadswinterconference.com for more information. Crossroadswinterconference.com and you can register your students right now for our winter conference this January in Gatlinburg. And then finally, verse 21. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. I want to leave you with four thoughts before we dismiss. Number one, when it comes to the mission of God, the gospel is working. It's working. It blows my mind that in America, we lament all the time about how, you know, there's no revival and people aren't coming to Christ. Hey, let me tell you what, people are too coming to Christ. Last year in our ministry at Crossroads, we saw over 16,000 people make first time professions of faith. Not easy believing, not just pray a prayer and you get in. No, I'm talking about public repentance, giving their lives to Christ, not a rededication, not a recommitment. The gospel's working, people. It's working all over the world. Do you know that, go ahead and give God praise because that's a pretty big deal. All around the world, I've got friends who have served in Nepal, and I consistently hear about how people are coming to faith in Christ in the Hindu kingdom of Nepal, a place I visited in the late 1990s. I hear stories all the time of what God is doing in communist China. The gospel is working, and it's amazing how dark the world gets. The light becomes so much more attractive to people living in darkness, and that's what this passage is saying. Paul is letting the people in Rome know, you're living in a Gentile nation. 
and you're under the, the nose of a Gentile emperor, but that emperor is nothing compared to my God. That man who calls himself Caesar and claims that Caesar is Lord is not Lord. So in this same chapter, he will say that you must confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That was a slap in the face to the Roman Empire. Because Caesar claimed to be Lord. Caesar demanded to be worshipped. And Paul says, don't you dare bow down and worship a worldly system that exalts a man above our resurrected King and God. Jesus is Lord and the gospel will work. And isn't it ironic that within 300 years of Jesus ascending into heaven, the greatest superpower the world had ever known was split and crumbling as the kingdom of God advanced and the Christians in Rome outnumbered the pagans. The gospel is working. It will always work because it's God's power for salvation. The gospel's working. Number two, not only is the gospel working, it's working right here among us, it's working on this campus, it's working around the world, it's working in nations where the, where the Bible's being translated, where they've never had access to it. Not only is the gospel working, but we are feasting. We're feasting. Guys, we have a feast set out for us every day, and God is not angry at us because of the feast. No, no, no. God prepared the feast for us. But here's what God wants us to do with the feast that we've been given. He wants us to share. He doesn't want us to be greedy. He doesn't want us to, to, to come up to the table and just pile the food in. The spiritual food is great, but it's great for a purpose. Not so that we can become spiritually fat and lazy on the blessings of the gospel, but so that we can take that feast that's been prepared for us and we can share it with the world. The Jews had feasted long enough on the love of God. In the fullness of time, according to God's sovereign, unassailable plan, he sent Jesus into the world. So that the rest of the world could sit down at the same feast that God's chosen people have been enjoying. That's the heart of missions. It's not just that we get to feast with great worship and great teaching and great preaching. It's that we get to share what we have. So the gospel is working. We are feasting. God is asking. Now God doesn't ever ask for anything because he needs anything. You do realize, right, that that's what it means to be God. You have no need. God is never deficient in any way. If I've, I've, told, I've told people this before, even when I preach at my church, when I'm teaching at our, at our summer camp at Crossroads, I tell people all the time, God doesn't need your money. When we ask for money, when we take up an offering, we do the tithe, God doesn't need your money. If God needed your money, he's big enough. He could beat you up and take it out of your pocket or your purse. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. Because if God has your heart, he's got your money. Giving is not so much about getting the money out of your pocket. My friend J.D. Greer says this. It's about getting the idols out of your heart. See, God doesn't, God doesn't need anything from us, but here's what he does. Because he loves us and wants to involve us in his mission, he invites us. He asks us, will you go? I had somebody push back on me one time and said, God never asked for anything. I'm like, yes, actually God does ask. God asked a question in the book of Genesis. God, God asked questions in the book of Isaiah. One of my favorite questions is when, when God basically says, Isaiah gets to eavesdrop on the conversation. Who can I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah speaks up and says, here I am, send me. Right now the world is waiting. Right now there are people in nations around this world that are waiting, not for you, they're waiting on Jesus. They're waiting for the gospel. They don't even know they're waiting for the gospel. They just know they're waiting for truth. 
They're searching every single day. Yesterday morning, I was in the gym at 5.15 a.m. in Anderson. I was sitting in the sauna trying to warm up before a workout, and I look over, and my friend Prakash from India, from Gujarat, is sitting there. And I said, Prakash, I'm praying for you. The reason why I had that conversation with him is because the day before that, in that sauna, he tells me, I'm going to have surgery. I have stomach cancer, they've already cut out my lymph nodes, and I begin surgery and radiation after that. I have developed a relationship with him over time in the Y. He is a Hindu from India. He has been looking his entire life for truth. He's been looking for meaning, he's been looking for some sort of hope, and for him it's reincarnation. I got to share the gospel of the resurrection with him. He doesn't believe yet, but he will. As long as I'm praying for him, I believe that God is willing to save him. And so I'm on mission. God is inviting me to be a part of it, just like he is you, and, and the world is waiting on your story. The world is waiting on you to bring the gospel to them. Now that doesn't mean if you don't take it, it's not going to ever happen. Jesus will find a way. So here's the deal. I don't got to go, I get to go. I don't, I don't have to go to Liberty Day and preach. Somebody asked me yesterday, they said, so where are you off to next? And I used to say, well, I've got to go preach at Liberty, or I've got to go preach at wherever, New Spring, or I've got to go preach in the early days, this fifth quarter, I've got to go do this youth rally. I don't say that anymore, because it's not something I've got to do, it's something I get to do. The world is waiting for us to bring the gospel to them. And the work has already been done. The cross has already happened. The, the, the tomb has already been emptied. Jesus used a borrowed tomb because he intended to give it back. All we have to do is go and tell the story and watch God and his sovereignty amaze us. I was in Malaysia and you know, there may be somebody in here that was at this conference. I, I know that over the last few years, there have been a lot of folks that were at this conference I spoke at in Malaysia, our ministry from Crossroads. We, we went to Malaysia, I believe it was 2008 if I'm not mistaken. We did a conference in conjunction with, with the Passion World Tour, Chris Tomlin and Louis Giglio were coming to Kuala Lumpur, and we went in about a week ahead of time, and we did a conference for college students. There were about 600 um, college students there that week from Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Iraq, Iran. Uh, I met several from India, and many of them were from China. A majority of them were not Christians. All of them from Muslim countries, with the exception of a handful, were Muslim. And then there were lots of Hindus and, of course, from China. Some were atheists, some were communists. But I had a conversation one afternoon with a guy named Richie. Richie had heard the gospel all week. He had come to every single one of our services. And Richie was a Hindu, living in Malaysia, there for university, there for his education. And I had a conversation with him where I quoted to him this passage in Romans 10. I said, Richie, I think the Lord brought me here to share the gospel with you. And whether or not you realize it, I think that you're waiting on Jesus. You're looking for truth. You're smart. You're intelligent. You've got a great brain. That's what you're waiting on. And for about three hours one day after lunch, he and I debated the nature of truth. And I felt like I made every point. I was being an apologist in, right there in real live time. Every question he had, I was trying to give him an answer. And I thought I had sealed the deal until at the end of it, he said, I don't want to become a Christian. I could never become a Christian because I could never dishonor my family. They're all Hindu. I'm going to stay Hindu. And I felt like I'd failed. So he went home that night, I went back to the hotel, the next afternoon I preached the final session, I gave an invitation, the first person to stand up and respond to the gospel was Richie. When Richie stood up to respond to the gospel, 
I thought, well, maybe the Lord used my words. Maybe I really did close the deal. And that's, and that's what I want to make sure nobody thinks today. The, the onus of responsibility is not on us to make people believe in Jesus. We just get to obey and go. Jesus is the one who calls. Jesus is the one who draws. Jesus is the one who saves. So at the end of that session, I walked up to Richie. I said, Richie, did you understand what you just did? You want to become a Christian? He said, yes. I said, why? He said, because last night I fell asleep and in my dream, Jesus appeared to me in my sleep. I said, what did Jesus say? Richie said, nothing. He didn't say a word. I said, then what convinced you to become a Christian? He said, it was the way I felt in his presence. I felt warm and love and I felt peace. See, the gospel is working. And God is inviting you to join him in his work and his mission. The gospel is working because God wants people to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. I hope that story shows you that God is already having a conversation with people all around you. And all you have to do is join God in that conversation and share who Jesus is and how he changed your life. God's a missionary and he calls us to be missionaries right alongside him in this work of building the kingdom and bringing the power of the gospel to the world. So look around your life today, tomorrow, next week, and ask yourself, who has God placed in your path that you can share his love with? If you'll open your eyes, God will give you the opportunity. If you'd like to hear this message again, send it to a friend, or learn how to take a next step in your walk with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.